Siege of New Hampshire series by Mick Rowland. Book 5, Critical Spring. Chapter 17, A Call to Action. Susan yawned and stretched within her sleeping bag, as much as that was possible. It had been a restless night. She awoke several times from dreams about being swept along in swirling black water. Each time, though, she knew it was a dream and was able to wake herself up. The result was a night that was anything but restful. It was a relief just to be done with it. The sun had begun to peek over the distant hills. The air still had the chill of the night. She poked her fire pit with a stick. Specks of ash floated up, proving that a few hot coals remained within. A few curls of birch bark and twigs, a few deep breaths, and her fire crackled back to life. Gonna need you to boil up some morning tea water, she told the fire as she left with her water bag. No squirrels were rustling on the hillside as she traveled to and from the stream. The smart ones knew better than to hang around wherever she was. She made a mental note that she would probably have to start setting snares rather than simply hunting. Fortunately, she wasn't going to go hungry at the moment. A scone and a stick of jerky would make a fine breakfast, even if not particularly wild. Susan stirred her little steel cup to steep the diced-up wintergreen leaves and a drizzle of maple syrup that Paul brought her. The tea smelled minty, but it had little taste. The vitamin C in the wintergreen was the benefit more than the taste. She blew on the hot tea before sipping. The woods certainly are pretty in the morning, she mused. Daylight was better than the dreams. The sound of wheezing and grunting grew audible from the direction of the high pasture below Three Oaks. Someone was coming. It didn't sound like Aaron or Paul. From the noise, she deduced that it was unlikely to be someone with ill intent. They wouldn't be that loud. Uncle Rupert? Elijah? She straightened up her sleeping bag and tucked away her change of clothes. She wanted Three Oaks to be ready for entertaining, well, whoever it was. Douglas plodded into view over the crest of the pasture. He stopped along the path periodically to lean on his knees and catch his breath. What is he doing up here? She waved when Doug looked in her direction. Ah, oh, miss, said Doug between wheezes. Sandy said you were up beyond their high pasture. Couldn't you have run away to some place easier? Going up and down. My own road is quite enough without this. Oh, sorry to make you climb all this way, but why are you looking for me? Susan asked. I was working to skips last night, began Doug. Ah, I need to sit. He landed on the ground like a sack of rocks. Oh, is that jerky? Uh, mind if I... Susan spread out the dish towel to make a mini picnic setting of two scones and four strips of jerky. Oh, like I said, I was working the skips last night and picked up your friend Walter, K1NTZ. Really? Susan's face brightened. Yeah, he said the folks in Cheshire were looking for some special medicine. 
He wasn't calling me so much as just broadcasting to all corners. Medicine? Her smile vanished. Yes, ma'am. Seems that Mrs. Simmons has gotten deathly sick with Mirsa or something. She needs this special medicine, and when I heard it was Cheshire and the name Simmons, well, I figured you knew him. So that you might want to, I don't know, uh, do something? Susan stared at her fire. She was hungry for news from Cheshire, but wasn't prepared for bad news. Margaret was sick. It must be very serious if Walter was calling around for medicines. What if Margaret died? These days it was fairly common for people to die of otherwise minor infections. What must Martin be thinking now? If Margaret did die, what would Martin do? Doug leaned into her line of sight. Uh, like I said, I thought you might want to do something. Huh? Uh, oh, yes, I do. Uh, did Walter say what kind of medicine? Uh, we can't help if we don't know what she needs. Aye, and he did, said Doug. He fished through his jacket pockets, finally producing a scrap of paper. The skips were pretty bad last night. Sky's not right for skips these days. Reception was pretty bad. Still, Walter was smart enough to spell it out slow-like. Doug cleared his throat. Meropenem. Box of fifty vials. Five hundred MGs. He said it was an antibiotic. Doug handed her the note paper. The only place I know to ask is Shively, Susan said. Oh, that's what I figured, too. But I can't have nothing to do with him, you understand. I figured since you already dealt with him. Yeah, I understand. I think I know what to do. Oh, good. Doug stood up. I'm going to try to skip again tonight, but don't hold out too much hope of getting through. I'll see if there's something else I can do for a better channel. Right, but first, we need to find out if we can even get this marrow stuff. Susan stood between the pine trees near the split-rail fence. She was trying to be invisible. Periodically, she peered out to see if the can was still perched atop the fence post. It was. What's taking him so long? It's been over an hour. Is he even around here? Oh, what if he got spooked and bugged out? How would I know? I could be standing here for days. Susan knew of no other sources. This was the only route to help Margaret that she could think of. If Shively wasn't around, she had nothing. The sound of footsteps on gravel interrupted her thoughts. She saw an arm reach out and take the can off the fence post. She stepped out from behind the pine. Hello, Shively, she said softly. You? Shively did not look happy to see her. What do you want? Here to talk business, she said flatly. I'm wondering if you could find this. She held out the notepaper for him to take. Shively studied the notepaper with a frown. Fifty vials? That's a tall order, miss, and quite specific. I don't think so, he handed the paper back to her. You didn't even check, she protested. She handed the paper back to him. Look, it's important, or I wouldn't even be bothering you. 
She didn't wish to appear too eager or the item too valuable. It put one at a disadvantage in trading to need something badly. The other person would know that you couldn't just walk away if the price was high. Your nurse friend and the children again, I suppose? Shively asked. Susan suspected he was fishing for vulnerability as leverage. It's for a friend, yes, but not for the children. It was too late for Susan to play coy. She had already made the medication sound too important to her. It's for someone in New Hampshire, if you must know. Can you find that or not? She pointed to the paper. Shively studied her face for several long moments. She tried to adopt her best poker face, though she wasn't sure she had a good poker face. I'll let you know in a few days, said Shively. A few days? I need to know now, Susan winced at her lack of bargaining skills. She didn't have time to play bartering games. She had heard that MRSA could be deadly, and even more so with modern medicine crippled by the power outage. Shively's eyes narrowed, and a thin smile crept into his expression. This here's a rare medication, miss, he tapped the notepaper with his finger. Really hard to find. I bet you don't even know what it is, she thought. You're just priming me for some humongous price tag. Susan had no idea what Shively was going to demand. However, a price required a product. First, Shively had to find the meropenem. She resolved that she would have to find a way to meet whatever the price might be. I'll see what I can find out, said Shively. And meet you back here tomorrow morning. He turned and walked up the road in the direction he had come. Yes, tomorrow morning. Susan didn't like the change in Shively's demeanor. She preferred his cranky pessimism to his greasy smile. She turned and walked back toward the hill with her new home of Three Oaks. When Susan had walked a dozen yards into the woods, she looked back. In the distance, she could see Shively in his brown-red coat walking back down the road. His distinctive wide arm swings weren't hard to notice. That's odd. Why is he coming back this way? Oh, maybe he's going right now to see if his sources have that medicine. She decided she would continue walking into the woods as if she hadn't seen him. She slowed her pace, stealing glances over her shoulder. Shively turned toward town at the intersection. He was not behaving like someone who knew he was being watched. Curiosity overwhelmed her. She wanted to know where he was going. If he knew she was following him, it might spook him and ruin the deal. She had to stay unseen, or at least unrecognized. As she rushed up the hillside to her camp, she calculated the roads Shively would travel upon and guessed his pace. At Three Oaks, she pulled on her camo pants over her jeans and traded her beige canvas jacket for her camo coat. She would shadow Shively from the woods. I hope I'm right. I hope I'm right. I hope I'm right, Susan repeated to herself as she jogged along the ridge, ducking through branches and jumping over fallen trees. She scrambled down the little valley and back up the other side. She dared not slow her pace, despite growing winded.
where the woods gave way to backyards, she paused to catch her breath. There was no sign of Shifley on the road. The minutes wore on. Her second guessing increased. Had he gone a different way? Was she wrong about him walking to town? Perhaps his source wasn't in town, but out in the country someplace. Her misgivings evaporated as the swinging arms in a brown red coat appeared on the road. Oh, man, he walked slow. Carefully, she paralleled Shively's progress along the road. She stayed inside the woods enough to be nearly impossible to spot. She followed Shively's progress via glimpses between the houses. In West Brattle, the houses were getting too close together and the gaps between them too small. She could no longer watch from the woods. I'm going to have to follow him on the road. A few other pedestrians trudged along the route toward town. Almost all of them carried bundles. Perhaps they were bound for the co-op, since the new law of the land was that one could only trade there. She took off her camo pants and rolled them into a bundle that she could carry. She reversed her camo coat so the solid green lining showed. She pulled her curly hair back into a fluffy poof. She never could get a ponytail. It always looked more like a sheaf of grain laid sideways. Feeling that she looked sufficiently different from a distance, Susan merged into the sporadic line of people walking along the side of the road. Shively looked around from time to time. He didn't seem to be looking directly back so much as nervously watching all around himself. To help her disguise, Susan struck up a conversation with a thin man with white hair who carried a tarp-wrapped bundle on his back. The man was more than cooperative. Old men never question a young woman talking to them. They are flattered at merely having their existence acknowledged. He turned out to be the male of equivalent of Adele, even to the point of having the same favorite television shows in the 1960s. Susan made a mental note to mention Ralph to Adele. Susan had to part ways with Ralph where Maple Street connected to the highway. The Western Ave Bridge over I-91 was the primary checkpoint for getting into town. Shively, however, turned right onto Maple Street. The Maple Street checkpoint was less traveled because it was the longer route to the co-op. The men with blue armbands stood at each end of an improvised gate, a two-by-four laying across steel drums. They interrogated the pedestrians and inspected their bundles. Are they looking for illegal silver or, or American flags? Susan stood back in the long line behind a dozen people. They brought large packets to town to do business. This is taking forever. I can't wait for all this. Shively will get out of sight, and I'll have no idea what way he went. Susan decided to skirt the checkpoint. She sidestepped into a patch of woods beside the road and scrambled up the highway embankment. As she peeked up under the guardrail, her heart sank. The Blue Bands had a guard posted on the bridge. His job was to make sure people didn't do precisely what Susan was attempting to do, skip the checkpoint. For a moment, she felt her mission was lost. Even if she got back into line, Shively was probably too far ahead to see. The guard didn't seem too intent on watching the highway. Instead, he sat on the concrete railing at the end of the bridge, reading a small book. Huh, he's just like that squirrel. 
She unhooked her hunting stick, cocked her arm behind her, and calculated the distance. When the man looked away for a moment, Susan let her stick fly. When the stick was a few yards from his target, Susan let out a muted, Hey! The guard turned to see who made the call. The stick smacked him flat across the bridge of his nose. He fell backward over the concrete, into a shrub that had grown up behind it. His book flew up, landing on the shoulder of the road. Susan sprinted across the southbound lanes to retrieve her stick. She didn't know why she snatched up the man's fallen book, but she did. Moans came from the bush as she vaulted over the guardrail and ran by. She was across the northbound lanes and behind the last guardrail before the man called out to his buddies. The other blue bands turned to see what was wrong with their fellow guard. This gave Susan an opening to rejoin the line of pedestrians shuffling toward town. Shively's red coat and swinging arms were still visible ahead of her among the other people on the road. She hadn't lost him. This part of town wasn't familiar to her. She would have to avoid any other blue bands as she did not receive the little square paper day pass. If they stopped her for lack of a pass, they might search her and find her revolver. Rumors of people disappearing after being caught in rule infractions might have been hype, but who wanted to find out the hard way? Susan picked up her pace to close the distance between her and Shively. Her pace nearly stopped, and she held her breath. A blue band with a rifle stood along the right side of the road. If she stayed in the flow of people, she would have to walk right past him. It took a force of will for her to keep her head down and shuffle along at the slow pace of the others. She knew she had to look innocuous and not attract attention. Behind the man with the rifle stretched an improvised fence of steel posts and a yellow rope. It ran parallel to the street. A grizzled old man approached the blue band. The elder was helping an old woman who limped along with an improvised crutch. Her leg was swollen. The old man gestured up the wide driveway behind the rope. The blue band shook his head firmly and spoke words Susan couldn't make out. He pointed down the road. They argued a moment or two before the old couple resigned to walking farther. Susan was glad the old couple distracted the man with the rifle. She was able to shuffle past unnoticed. As she passed, she noticed a small blue sign behind the rope that read Brattleboro Memorial Hospital. So that's where the hospital is, she mused. She hadn't traveled in that part of town before. The buildings were mismatched and nondescript. They looked like they could have been the backside of a school, or an office complex, or maybe a Motel 6. Nothing about them said hospital. If it weren't for the little blue sign, she wouldn't have known. The driveway was, apparently, a back entrance. The guard was positioned to deny public access via the back road. Susan didn't have much time to savor her minor victory of getting past the blue band. Shively stopped at a fire hydrant to retie his bootlaces. Susan slowed down and moved to the left of the knot of people carrying her bundles to keep others between herself and Shively. He finished tying, then fumbled with his hat. It fell to the ground. Oh, what a fake move. You did that on purpose. She watched his hands. He drew a small folded bit of paper from under the headband and stuffed it into the grass behind the hydrant. 
As he stood up, he pretended to steady himself on one of the steel posts holding up the yellow rope. With a quick twist of the wrist, he had the line looped around the post instead of merely tied to it. He walked on. A planted note and a signal. So that's how he does it. Susan looked around at the houses on the opposite side of the street. I need to watch that note and see who comes to get it. It was hard to tell if any of the houses across the street had people living in them. They all had a shabby, unkempt look. If occupied, owners wouldn't take kindly to someone lurking around. She couldn't wait in the open, as the guard with the blue armband would notice her. One house, however, was clearly not occupied. At the sidewalk edge of the little front yard grew a tall and unruly hedge. It hadn't been trimmed in years. Behind the hedge sat a small white two-story house with only the charred edges of a roof remaining. The second-story windows had no glass. Excellent. I'll wait behind the corner of that house. Trees all around. I can see the hydrant, but the guard won't see me. Sudden changes of direction would attract attention. So Susan continued walking to the intersection, then did a slow U-turn to merge into the meander of people walking the other way up Maple Street. When she got to the unruly hedge, she borrowed Shively's move and paused to retie her boot. When there was no one nearby, behind her, she pushed into the hedge. Now to see who comes out to pick up that note. Susan settled into position behind the back corner of the charred roof house. Looking down the trash-littered driveway, she could see the hydrant. Trees in the back and on the sides concealed her from the neighboring homes. She glanced around, behind herself, occasionally. All was quiet. After ten minutes of eternity, Susan spotted someone walking from the back of the nearest hospital building. Whoever it was was carrying a plastic basin, evidently full of liquid from the way she held it. Square face? You work at the co-op and the hospital? Oh, that's very interesting. The woman ducked under the rope and walked up to the curb. She slowly poured out some soapy water into the gutter. She leaned against the fire hydrant and pretended to pull up one sock. Susan watched her hand. The woman picked up the note from the grass and stuffed it into her shoe. As she stepped back over the rope, she untwisted it from the post. Susan guessed that Shively said he wanted an answer quickly, so Susan decided to wait and see if Squareface returned. It took half an hour, but Squareface did return with another basin of soapy water. Susan watched her fumble with the pan and drop it. Oh, please, you call that acting? A square of paper came out of a sock to be tucked into the tall grass behind the hydrant. As she stepped over the rope again, Squareface gave it a twist in the opposite direction. Oh, looks like Shively has his answer. Oh, I do hope it's good news. Hey there, called out a voice behind Susan. Susan jumped and spun around with a gasp. Behind her stood a tall young man. He had shaggy brown hair and patches of a beard that didn't quite come together. He looked to be in his late twenties, and, while not muscular, he had a rugged look. Are you lost or something? he asked. Susan didn't like that he kept his hands in his pockets of his short brown jacket. 
No, not lost. I was just resting for a minute. I'll be going now. Bye. She turned to go, but the young man quickly sidestepped in front of her. Oh, what's the rush? Been watching you. You didn't look like you were in a hurry. Hey, I just want to talk. Her heart raced. She tried to keep her breathing from looking fast. She dared not call out for help, as that would bring the guard. For a moment, she imagined that she might jump back a few steps to gain some distance and draw her revolver. The young man might call out and bring the guard. The driveway was narrow and overgrown. Was there room for her to quickly run past the man? Uh, I can't talk, she said. I have to go. She tried to push past him with as much distance as the brush would allow. The man grabbed her left wrist and bent her arm back behind painfully. No, he said quietly. I think you can stay. He pulled her up such that her back was against his belly. In his other hand, he held a short knife and pressed it against her throat. I think we should go inside here and have a little chat. Don't get any ideas about screaming, or it'll be the last thing you ever do. He began to back around the corner of the house, pulling Susan with him. The steel of the blade had been cold, but was warming from being against her neck. Many thoughts raced through her head in a fraction of a second. He's too strong for me to fight. His knife is really small compared to my big knife. Oh, my big knife! He didn't search me! My other hand is free. I could cross-draw if I can get an opening. What is an opening? Oh, no, no, no. He is not taking me in that house. I'll die out here fighting before I'll die in there quietly. She was so filled with rage that she had to bite her lip to suppress a banshee scream. Out of the corner of her eye, she spotted a board leaning against the wall. The young man was looking down behind himself to pick his steps through the debris. Susan kicked the board with her heel. The board fell with a clatter. The man turned to look at the board. At that moment, the knife came away from her throat by a couple inches. That was her opening. He still had her wrist tight, but in a flash she spun around left, around the man, until she was behind him. As she turned, she pulled her big knife from its sheath and brought it around against his right side. Even though the man still had a hold of her left wrist, she held the knife with both hands in a sort of Heimlich position directly over his abdomen. The young man was momentarily off guard at Susan's quick move. She pressed the point in until the startled young man froze and yelped. Make any noise and it will be the last one you make, she growled. I have my knife right over your liver. You understand what that means? If I pull it in like this, she gave a little pulse of a squeeze with her arms. The man jumped. You'll be dead in a matter of minutes. Understand? Her heart pounded. She had no plan beyond escaping the man's grasp. Uh, hey, uh, I was just kid. Susan pulsed the knife point again. Shut up. I've killed three scum like you already. Do you think a fourth will matter to me? Now, let go of my wrist and drop that knife. The man's hand popped off her wrist as if he had forgotten that he was holding on. But a little folding knife fell among the boards, broken glass and shingles at his feet. Susan had the upper hand at the moment. 
But how could she extract herself from this situation? How would she get away? With his longer legs, he would quickly be able to outrun her. Even if she got away from him, she would still have to get past the guard. While trying to peer around the young man, she noticed that his brown jacket was very different from the green lining of her inside-out camo coat. His coat would be a good change of outfit. She wouldn't look like the same person she was earlier. Assuming she got away from this man, she would need a plan to get past the checkpoint. Take off your jacket. How can I? Uh, you, you've got a knife. She twitched the knife. I could just take it off your dead body. If you want to live, figure it out. She was too busy trying to figure out how to escape the predicament she had gotten herself into. The man looked around as he hesitated. He pulled one hand inside its sleeve. He moved the other hand to help pull on the cuff. Susan pushed the knife slightly. He jumped. Slower. Don't go thinking you're fast. You can't outmaneuver a knife that's almost inside you already. Go slow so my knife doesn't get nervous. The man nodded and repeated the maneuver, albeit slower, with his other sleeve. The jacket hung limp, pinned between them. Susan turned the two of them around in little sidesteps so that her back faced the driveway at the side of the house. She decided she would have to push him away and run for the street. Hopefully, the presence of other people and the guard would discourage him from chasing her. It seemed like a feeble plan, but it was all she could come up with. You know I could just kill you now, don't you? She growled between clenched teeth. The man nodded quickly. I probably should, since you think it's okay to attack women. She pulsed the knife again. She felt the blade give a little. The man twitched, tensed up, and squeaked. Susan could feel warmth on her fingers. She had broken the skin and was drawing blood. Her knife was into the man's abdominal muscles. Was she really ready to kill this man? When she shot her first attacker, she was fighting for her life. The second soldier was shot in the heat of the moment. Baron Kirk was also a fight for her life. The stranger was different. She had him on the ropes. She was in control. To kill him would be in cold blood, no matter how well-deserved that death might be. She wasn't God. I'm going to give you a chance to change your ways, she said. I'm going to push you away. You run off behind this house and keep running. I have a gun, too, so if you turn on me, I'll shoot you in the eyes. Yes, right in the eye. That would be good. The young man nodded. And if I ever hear about a woman being attacked here in town, I will sneak in by night, find you, and gut you open like an animal. Do you understand? She twisted the knife a few degrees for emphasis. Hands behind your head, fingers laced. When the man had complied, she flung out her arms and thrust out her chest to bump-push the man away. She grabbed the falling jacket and ran. The man stumbled a step or two over the loose debris. He turned as if to grab for her, but she was out of reach. Susan rushed out onto the sidewalk, just ahead of a couple with a big shopping bag. She quickly adopted the shambling pace of the people in the street and worked on slowing her breathing. A few of the people on the street looked over at her because of her sudden appearance, but resumed their eyes-down migration. 
The guard hadn't been looking when she burst out onto the sidewalk. Her would-be captor stopped at the end of the hedge. She glanced back to see him study the blood on his hand. Susan needed to get out of town quickly. There was no time to wait to see Shively pick up the note. Stupid, 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 muttered the woman behind Susan. While the woman had been talking to her downcast husband, Susan felt she could just as well have been talking to her. She shook her head as she walked. I let my guard down. I got too focused on that note in Squareface. Can't let that happen ever again. Her attacker's brown jacket was too large for her, but it fit over her inside-out camo coat, provided she tucked the longer coattails in her belt so that they wouldn't show. Susan tried to wipe the blood off her hands with the leaves of the shrubs she walked past. In the jacket pocket, she found a little square of paper, the young man's day pass, yellow five. His day pass? Oh, sweet! I can walk on through the checkpoint instead of having to find another way around. Examining the pockets reminded her that she had stuffed that guard's book in her back pocket. She pulled it out. It was a tattered little paperback. The hand that feeds you. Food supply and pacification. Susan knew she needed to lose that book before she went through the checkpoint. The people behind her were too close for her to chuck it into the brush unnoticed. Becoming more aware of the middle-aged couple behind her, she began to listen to their conversation more closely. I told you it was a bad idea, Jason, snapped the woman. But would you listen to me? No, you always think you have all the right answers, don't you? Oh, flour is better than box meals the man offered his defense. It goes farther. Better, 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 the woman mocked. You expect me to cook this stupid flour into stupid tasteless crackers? So you think that's better? Where's the taste in that, huh? Food needs taste. You never listen to me, Jason. You never do. You only got that pig-headed little man-brain in your head, so it's no wonder you can't come up with a single intelligent idea. Susan shook her head slightly. She felt bad for Jason. From the small sample Susan overheard, his wife was a self-absorbed jerk. It's bad enough to be grid down, but grid down and stuck with that? The woman was swinging her shopping bag such that Susan could see that it was open at the top. The woman wore a pale green coat. That gave Susan an idea. She feigned a stumble such that she collided with the woman's shopping bag. The book that had been hidden up her sleeve fell into the open tote. Oh, uh, excuse me, Susan said without turning around. Watch where you're going, you idiot, scolded the woman. This stuff is expensive. While they all waited in line at the checkpoint, the woman continued to berate her husband for failing to make her world the way she expected it to be. The guard checking bags and collecting passes had a black eye and a big bandage across his nose. He's taking the passes? Oh, man, what are the odds? Susan swallowed hard. It was too late to cut out of the line without attracting attention. She would have to trust in her altered appearance. Without looking up, she handed over the square of paper. With no bundle to check, the bandaged guard flagged her on impatiently. Susan blew out a sigh of relief. 
I sure hope Shively gets the goods, and this wasn't all a waste of time. I took too many chances today to come up empty. She stepped out of line a few yards after the checkpoint and climbed up into the brush on the overpass embankment. She wanted to retrieve her camo pants that she had abandoned earlier at the overpass when she threw her stick. Raised voices echoed from the concrete walls of the bridge. The guards were angry. The bandaged guard may have gotten only a glimpse of his attacker, remembering only a woman in a green coat. The woman's voice sounded shocked and pleading. Susan smiled. Now who's looking for a little understanding? So, Susan's new life in Vermont and her prior life in New Hampshire may cross paths again after all. Of course, if you've read the book and are just listening to the audio for the fun of it, you already know all that. But I'd venture to guess that even if this podcast is your first time through the story, you could maybe have guessed that it might have happened somewhere along the line. As a reminder, if you're one of those listeners who really dislikes hearing the ads, and I totally understand, I do still have the no-ads version available on Patreon and Spotify. The buck fifty a month mostly covers the fees they charge me to have a subscription channel. Apple's subscription podcast service, for instance, costs the podcaster a buck sixty-six a month. If you're interested in the no-ads version, check out my Patreon page and click on Memberships. On Spotify, search for Siege, comma, No-Ads, and it should show up in the search results. I can't say how the Spotify sign-up process works, because I've never done it, but they tell me it's easy. I'd like to thank Sean for the virtual coffees he bought me last week. Thanks, Sean. And monthly members are getting to read advanced copies of the chapters from Book 6, which I'm in the process of writing. If you'd like to become a monthly member, check out my Buy Me a Coffee page or my Patreon page for details. Links are in the show notes. Thanks for listening and supporting this podcast. <laughs>